join Derek and Yvonne Mulligan, your enthusiastic hosts on The Hipstorians, as we whiz back and forth through time and covering the stories that have shaped our world. With listeners spanning across 39 countries, this compelling podcast will bridge the past and the present in an entertaining, accessible and lively way. Tomorrow may be a mystery, but on The Hipstorians, everything else is history. We explore historical events through interviews with world-renowned authors and historians, deep diving into different eras and uncovering hidden gems. Whether you're a history aficionado or a curious newcomer, we offer something for everyone. So subscribe today to embark on your time-traveling adventure with us, the Hipstorians. Connect with a community that shares your passion for the past and stay tuned for engaging interviews, enlightening discussions and a fresh take on history. So grab that cuppa, get comfortable. Here we go. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the second part of Prisoner 1082, Donald Donnelly's daring escape from Crumlin Road Jail. In 1960, this was considered Europe's Alcatraz, and we'll find out now how Donald managed to escape and evade capture thereafter. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, hit the pause button, go back and do that, and then rejoin us. We learned an awful lot and got quite a balanced view of what it was like to grow up as a young Catholic boy in a divided state after their partition of the country, and ultimately what led to Donald's involvement with the IRA in the fated border campaign of 1957, and put some good context and showed us the signals that followed on then to the so-called Troubles or 30 Years War. So with that, we shall rejoin Donald. Well, eventually, that, that was, was, that's how we did it. But then we were to go out on New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve. Bars weren't cut in time, so we had to put them in with putty and what have you. And uh, But I got for the rope. They were rewiring the hole inside the prison, putting up fluorescent lighting. That was the great. That was the craze of the time, fluorescent lighting. <laughs> and but the way that they, the way that they protected the outside contractors was amazing. They were never there when we were there. Right. They only worked whenever we were at work. Okay. And whenever we were coming back from work, they were all cleared out. They had to account for every hacksaw blade, chisel, screwdriver, and then a whole penalty system for doing it. Quite amazing. So, trying to get something that wouldn't be missed was quite difficult. But I took a chance. I was at a visit uh, to see my mother, and when I came back up, uh, your man said, "It's not worth your while going to the back to work." He said, "I'll bring you up to your cell." And Piercy Noble, he was Mister Noble. He was, he was the censor as well as being the man in charge of the wing below. And uh, I said to Mister Noble, "This is not the curra." I said, it's not just barbed wire around here. I said, this is a real secure prison. Of course, he was delighted with that. <laughs> he said, okay. But I said, I walk myself. I don't need it. I, do it. I closed my door. No intentions. But I went up the stairs. So I, he didn't accompany me. And I got my jug and my bowl for my water. So that's what you wash with in the morning. Cold water. Yeah. So I went down to the water tap that was at the end of the wing. And the guys were up. There's a trades officer whose name was Mr. Paisley, <laughs> and, and uh, Tom Paisley, and he had the outside contract, and they were discussing some detail, and I saw half a roll off of the electric flex and a big new roll. So I waited until they were really thinking, and I took the, the roll, half a roll, I stuck it into my basin, I put my jug on top and filled my water and back up, okay. hoping myself to one business. And then I, 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 there's a storeroom, a couple of cells, there was a cell that was turned into, put shelves in for storing and I stored the thing in there but it would be only a matter of yeah. day or two before it would be caught but it was there for me for Stephen's day because we decided we'd go out Stephen's night and Stephen's day see Christmas day you're locked up right you could do, couldn't do very little but on on, on uh, Christmas night I set up all night making a rope with an electric flex and blanket and I also got some bits of a cord to tie it but they checked your, your cell every half hour oh. the spy hole and the flash lamp now they can come every half hour but they definitely came every hour and yeah. if the guy was wearing slippers you wouldn't hear him so trying to make something was quite difficult but anyway I made what I could but I was left I didn't make the full 70 feet and I was left 
was a, was about, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30 feet of it, not okay. intertwined. So I was left with a, with an incomplete rope. Yeah, and a weak point. Yeah. And a weak, so in any event, and a, yeah, so in any event, uh, I hid that for only the night. And the next day was Stephen's Day. And Stephen's Day then, uh, we're going to go. And whenever you're, the prison has a whole procedure and a protocol, you're, and because it was different from a work day, because we went to the cinema. And they had a film on, and the name of the film was, the title of the film was, Up the Creek. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Up the Creek was on, and after Up the Creek, we came back and we had our tea. And after you had your tea, you could stay then for, I think it was an hour and a half, two hours, playing cards or chatting or whatever you had. So during that two hours, we wanted to escape. Five o'clock to half five. But the prison order, at this stage, we had I had been kind of softening them up a good bit in terms of being able to do things, but not 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 dramatically, so but little small things. So to get out of the up to get a table tennis bat, but, but John wouldn't have the same connection I had because okay. both of them wouldn't been much chatting to the prison order that I had. And I said, John, John wants to go up to get a table tennis ball. Is that okay? No, no, no. You can't go up. You can't go up. You're here for the because he was. His, he was a different guy. He was on because of the Christmas period. Okay. So he wouldn't have been usually on the A-Wing. The A-Wing guys were picked because they, they, was, they were, well, through time, they get to know people. And if somebody's a bit of a sore head at times, uh, don't be annoying them. They won't annoy them. Right. You know, that, that they, and they, they kind of give and take to a certain extent. But a new fella coming in, he's going by the rules he has over in the short-term place, which is, you know, you know everything is... So, Eventually he let John up. Now so John got up. Now I had to get up. And then I oh, I forgot my table tennis bat as we called it. And he said, Can't it? I said, it won't be a minute. I'll go up and back. So he let me out. And that was nice. That was good luck. Yeah. But when I got up, headed for John's cell, we're in the cell, pushed the bed up against the wall, stood on the end of the bed grabbed the bars, got up, put my head out the window, out the hole. Don't forget it was half five, dark, dark Christmas yeah. Eve, sleet, snow, freezing light coming down. But I was exhilarated and I put my head out and got this rain stuff on my head. And the next thing they hear, Donnelly, Donnelly, <laughs> Mr. Ramp, who was from South Africa originally, and he was on the wing. So John said, oh, quickly, I had to get back down. And he, he was on the corridor. So I said, John, leave this to me. And I opened the door and I said, boo, you know, to him. He said, what are you doing? And Kelly said, I said, we're having an Irish class. And I had put some books on the table. And he said, no, there's no Irish class on my list tonight. Right. Of course there wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I could have told him that. <laughs> <laughs> back to the recreation hall or back to your cell. So now... We won't get a, we're going to get out of the recreation hall a second time. So I said to him, I'll go to my cell. And I had a quick word with John, ring the bell. Ten minutes. So up to my cell, he locked me in. He came back down. He locked John Kelly in and then he went brought me up and he locked me in my cell. And now there's a bell in his lip, but they, they seldom answered the bell. And at night time, they needed a guy to come from the centre. There's a whole protocol for that because okay. he didn't know suicide or whatever. Yeah. So, so at a bit of luck again, and I rang my bell. I could hear John's bell. I could, what I thought was his bell, the sound. And it's amazing, Yvonne, at a time like that, your antenna is up. You, 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 you sense and feel things and hear things yeah. that you wouldn't. Yeah. Only that your adrenaline is running and you're, you know, I'm sorry, and you would, as his cell, and uh, I rang my bell, bell after I left a bit of a minute, and he came up, he said, what do you want? I said, can I go back to the recreation room? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I can't be good all day, we're looking after you, darling, and one time you want in, now you want my mama. So I ran down the stairs, and he's watching me go down the stairs now, by right he should come with me, but he's got all the jobs to do, and I'm running down the stairs, and when I get down to the bottom of the stairs, 
I look up and he's looking over and I run back up again. <laughs> and he said, Dolly, where are you going? I said, I'm just collecting a bat. I'll be back in a minute. Come back. And he shut on me, come back. But I knew he had another job to do. So I got down and said, let's go. Up on the thing, out the window, put the rope around the abseil down two stories in the wet muck in it. And we had a fellow called Seamus McCrory, who incidentally was a cousin of uh, Frank Brotherhood, um, who wrote Angela's Ashes. Frank McCourt. Frank first cousin of Frank McCourt. <laughs> he was in prison. He was a printing company from, from Balabina. He was in there, growing up someplace. And Seamus was, but Seamus had, was only a short more time to do. So he was our acolyte to throw out our coats. But he couldn't because Ramp came back. And what he did, he locked John's door. He saw they gone down again to the, to the room. So your man eventually went down to the den room and said to the man in charge there, did Kelly and Donnelly come back? He said, um, I, don't, I don't know Donnelly, but Kelly definitely didn't come back. Your man, that I thought we had about a half an hour, that was 10 minutes. Right. And he knew the escape, something was wrong. And he ran to Mr. Foster, who was the principal in charge of that wing, and said, there are two prisoners missing. And then, of course, they have to check things, like, like it's like yeah. looking for yourself, looking for something you want to start start here first, and the time you get where it is, like, could be 20 minutes. So they started the search. But we got into the end. Then I held the rope and John upsailed down. Now we had to get over to the administrative block. And there was a gully with all the you know, stinking... Nice. Water. Yeah. So we crawled out, so we were wringing wet, and we got out farther. And then we had to climb up. So we had, we we had all this plan. We we did we, we did a lot of planning. Okay. And we had plan A, plan B, plan C. We had the, the, nearly the whole letters of the alphabet. If something happened, do you do this? And one of the things was that I was going. We started saying, "You go first, or I go first. It was agreed that I would go first, not for any reason other than having a definite decision. Yeah. Rather okay. than deciding things on. So I went up. Uh, I went up, climbed up the, the forest, but then there was a ledge out, and to get around that, I had to, I had to climb in John's. John had to climb up and had to stand his shoulders to get around it. That was a, a nervy bit because you could easily fall back, you know. Yeah. And I grabbed the all the the, the bars and climbed myself up, and now I'm up beside the 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 the, the link wall that I call it, the new link wall, and the, and all the cement stuff is still on it, you know. And I look over. I can see Mr. Beatty with his revolver, okay. and Mr. McIver, and the other guys, around, and they were shoving one another in their big heavy coat, trying to keep warm because they were in duty. Outside in the in the in what I call the piazza, the square in front of the, because you know to go through the main gates. So I looked down, and then uh, John was to pass up the rope to me, but didn't the rope get caught? There's a tunnel that brings prisoners from the jail. To the yeah, yeah. You were probably in it, were you? We were in it, yeah. And uh, so, but at that time, not now, but at that time, it was, like, it was like something you see in a, in a circus. You used to have this iron kind of a thing that into the cage, and you could see the prisoners going down, and then they disappeared into the tunnel. So, didn't it get caught in the ornamental, like, oh, excuse okay. me, ornamental thing? And both of us pulled. The rope broke on the weak part and we were left with the weakest part, not the strongest part. All right. So now, John and myself, he was, I got him up and he, I left on my piece of the way. He was able to climb up on that. So the two of us were standing. No, before he came up, the light went on in the window silhouetting me against the thing. And you see, it could be a prisoner, sick or something, not just didn't want to be socialising, could be looking out his window. And see you, and of course, yeah. press a bell and tell the warders. Yeah, so I had to stand right. out against the grey wall waiting. And I could look over Belfast, I could see the city hall. Very few lights in Belfast, Yvonne, back in those years. Don't forget, it was 1960. So yeah. you're still, the war years of no lights was still, it was only being changed. But they had Belfast City Hall lit up, and I could see the Belfast City Hospital as well. So eventually, anyway, whoever put on the light didn't come up the, didn't come up the stairs. Probably just for company, they put it on some guard in the administrative block. So John came up and then we had a hurried, we had decided we no talk, but we had to talk. And I said, I'll go across and maybe we'll just drop down. I went over to the end of the wall 
and I put my no rope, nothing, and I put my, my hands and I put, pushed my body over the wall. And I looked out and I couldn't see the bottom because the oh. rain and the sleep was swirling yeah. and the way the lights were. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, no I won't do it. I need, I, need, I need a bit of a rope. So I climbed back up again and I had to cross this wall. And there was something on it. I, I took it in my um, uh, spook thing. There's some kind of a warning thing, but it could, right. have just, been, it could have been just an electric junction. Sure. But, but I had to stand up because I wasn't going to... See, I was crawling on the wall. And I didn't want any of the, the rubble to go down on top of these warders here. So I had to go back again to where I was, to John. And I said, no, we need the rope. So he said, right, I'll hold the rope. He said, you drop, and then I'll drop, and you can break my fall. So it wasn't much of a plan, but yeah. that was the best we could do. So we went back to the wall, and wherever the wall is at the corner of the prison, and it's right behind where the warders' houses are. And they live in those houses. And you could have family, family members, children. I mean, that's you. So when I put my weight on the, on the wall, on the rope, I, I couldn't say, did I get down five feet or ten feet, or did I get any feet? All I know, I and I hit the tarmac with an almighty thud. Ouch. And I said to myself, here I am now, my back is broken. And I'm lying out here after all our planning. I couldn't move. And I... I tried to move and eventually I got moving and I found I could kneel and I could get up but when I got up the pain I what I didn't know was I'd, I'd broken my hand and I'd broken my heel and the pain was excruciating but I found that I could stand up my tiptoes so I'm still waiting for John to come and there's no sign of him all swirling which meant that the, the whenever they did the inquiry afterwards they reckoned that the lighting wasn't as good as it should have been Okay. which I, would, I have to say I agree with him but anyway <laughs> I couldn't see so I, we had agreed that I wouldn't stay too late so I shouted him a couple of times and you know, I'm going to raise the alarm but we had a plan for that as well and the plan was the most the worst house to go to in the six counties was John Kenny's house <laughs> but yeah. that was where I went to his house <laughs> in 12 Adela Street which wasn't too far from the Matter Hospital which was right beside the prison. So I ran down, and again, I go back to the lighting. There was an entry, and I took it to be an entry to a tree, and I ran past where I should have turned in. And I rode, 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 until I came down to Caroline Circus. And I was running around Caroline Circus, and I found myself down in uh, Glengall uh, Street, but, oh, it's a, come back to me, I always forget the name of it. There's a major police station there. And as I was running down, now I'm in a shirt. I'm just in a shirt, trousers, a pair of slippers. A tie, you've got these, you know, you tie this. Now. And uh, because Seamus couldn't throw out her coats to us. I'm smeared with black and muck that I've been on there. Both yeah. in this. Yeah, so are yeah. And, <laughs> and I run past the shop window, shop doorway. And there are two policemen standing in this. And I ran past them. The alarm hasn't gone off anyway. So now, but I had to get up past them again. Right. And traffic was very little back in those days, but it was even little for St. Stephen's night. And the next thing I see, a bus coming, but I kept, I could, I looked back and I could see them both standing out looking after me. And I ran down diagonally across as the bus was coming up. And as soon as I knew I was out of sight, I ran back again on my tiptoes again beside the bus. And then I jumped into it all the way further up and I looked back and here the two boys still looking down the road that I went probably said, I don't know how that is. So I had to find my way back up again to the jail. I mean, talk about, about, yeah. about uh, Ruffy's Law. So I got back up and I stopped these people and they ran away from me. I looked so... <laughs> it was those lunatic young people and they ran. And then I stopped these other people and I said, where's the matter hospital? They've been in an accident, a car accident. And they said, oh, you go up there. And said, That's all I needed to know because I didn't know where they had to go. And I got up there and I went back to Adela Street because Adela Street was not far from the matter. And there was this girl standing, young woman standing, standing at the bus stop. And I said to her, is that Adela Street? And I reckoned that she was a nurse, a Catholic nurse from the, from the matter hospital. But she was so gushing, yes, back down there. She knew he would come with me if I'd asked. <laughs> so and Mrs. Kelly told me afterwards, when I met them, that it was, the, okay. she identified herself to them. So I ran down and I knocked the door and uh, 
John, John Kelly's brother, little brother, opened the door. Of course, I'd never been in their house before. And I, I was called Danny growing up. I took Donald when I came down south. So I said, I'm Danny Donnelly. And I've just escaped from Cronenshire. Come on, on in. You think this <laughs> prisoners were going to be there knocking the door? So I got in and his mother and father were in the kitchen and they had the Stanley Range. The Stanley was a range that had a black range of fire in it. And, uh, and she said to Johnny, oh, Johnny, look at him. I pair of rosary beads around my neck. She said, look at the rosary beads around my neck. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, God, Mrs. Kelly, they're going to be here. What am I going to do? In my own head. And then she, must be in the Belfast DNA. She said, get those slippers off. The dogs will be here in 15 minutes. Nice. I took my slippers off. She lifted the little lid of the fire and she put the two slippers in, put the thing down. And there were the, she said, they'll be here in 20 minutes. They were there in 15 minutes. And the slippers were still burning just in, in the fire when they arrived. And they arrested all of the Kellys, including the mother and father. And the searched, like, the place was black with bee men and bee special. And all you see men searching attics and sheds and everything, coal houses, all that whole area. But they had brought me to another house. Uh, a woman who... No, no man in the house, but woman, and her family, she had seven children, and the children were um, mostly small ones, but some one or two big ones, and she made me a cup of tea, and the Kelly said, we'll be back from tomorrow, you know, and I thought, that's good, <laughs> but they weren't even thinking about what's going to be tomorrow, so whenever I got the tea, and, they, and I was sitting there, and now I was starting to stiffen up my back because I didn't know that I had crushed all the cartilages in my vertebrae. That was really the big, the big thing that, that, yeah. that I had that for two years afterwards. And the polio clinic helped me, thanks to them. But suddenly the siren in the prison went off. You could hear it as if it was in the sitting room. And she said to me, you can't stay here. I said, of course I can't. But I didn't want to be a sitting duck either. But I said, where can I go? And the young fellow said, sometimes we play cowboys and there's a transport yard up the lane and you climb up a wall. And I thought, another bloody wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I went up the lane, they came up with me, the mother and the daughter and the young. And I climbed up the wall and there's a zinc roofing and there's a trap door or a fan light, or you like to call it, in the, in the, in the, yes, in the roof. Yeah. And he said, if you're lucky, there might be a lorry parked under it. And you get into the cab. I got in. Exactly, it was a steep, but I couldn't trust myself to get into the cab because if I'd fallen, I would have fallen another 20 feet and I would, yeah. you know, wouldn't get be found until they came no. back after the holidays. Yeah. So I lay on top of that. So that's really the complete sad part of the escape. And then the next day, then uh, things started again, you know, on the run then for a week. You know? Did Kelly ever make it over the wall or? No, no. he was caught because, because ah, okay. he fell inside. And in fact, he raised the alarm, but he, he, he thought he'd raised the alarm, and he did raise the alarm, but uh, unknown to him, they already had, as I told you, they already had established that there was, we were, two of us were seen in the yard. I never found out who saw us, but somebody saw the two of us in the yard. And uh, probably another prisoner, you know, because don't forget, I'm in there among all the other prisoners who yeah. were stealing. And no, not necessarily, yeah, you could yeah. have different affiliations. Yeah, 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 well, it's only about to see what's, what's going on out there, you know. And had you given much thought in all the planning? Obviously, the planning takes you to the moment you land outside. But had you ever thought anyway, you a lot to lose. Like, I mean, your sentence would have been increased beyond the 10 yeah, yeah. had you been caught. So had you, had you thought about that before you, you escaped? D Derek, I didn't. And I'll tell you why. I was... Filled, I've been through the plan in my head so often, even when I was running in Carlisle Circus. I felt I'd been there in my head, okay. even though even though I shouldn't have been there. But I, I kind of knew, I knew, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go back up again, get to that. House. And then I, I was filled with such a confidence that I was going to escape. Now, there's no, there was no good basis for that other than my own confidence that I was going to get away. But I couldn't have got away unless other people had helped me. I mean, I could do so much myself. But what I did myself was, I was found out where I could go. I lay out, and then I came back to the house. Kelly's, or I couldn't go back to Kelly's. Nobody else. The woman I couldn't stay in the house that night, and I discovered that she was from. I was hoping to go maybe to to a funeral, right? Because if you went to a funeral mass, you could of course see people would pick up. Of course, the, the, 
you can meet a, you meet somebody from our side of the house, yeah, and yeah. that and that maybe they might know what to do with you, but they might know somebody who would, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it, there was no funerals or nothing. I was completely boxed in. So in talking to the woman, I discovered she was from Tyrone originally, and I talked about her. Then her mother was still alive, and she went down. And how do you go? She says, "I get the bus from Antrim Road to Cookstown." And it goes on then to Dungannon. But I heard Dungannon. I knew I could get to Dungannon because I'd had contacts in Dungannon and further east. So I wouldn't go back to Oma, obviously, for obvious yeah. reasons, being from the town. So I had the prison uniform. You mentioned it earlier, Yvonne. So I said to the woman, she was there with seven children. You see, that was a pretty common thing. Her husband mm. couldn't, he was making a living in England. He couldn't afford to come home for Christmas. Jesus. Came home in the summer. I mean, and he was a, a, a an air raid warden during the war. So I mean, right. he, he wasn't he wasn't a fellow who was idle or a, a hard worker. And yet, I never met the man. But I, but I, I, she, I said, could I wear some of your husband's clothes? So I often say this in a different context. Somebody may say, do you believe in prayer? Well, I say, I tell you, I'm climbing these stairs, age twenty one in a Catholic house in Belfast. I said, I'm asking, I'm going up to see what's in the wardrobe that might fit me. And when I opened the door of the wardrobe, what's staring at me only a uniform with the words on Her Majesty's service. It was a civil defence uniform because the air raid, the whatever they called them, the name, the initials for them, the AR something or other, but they became the nucleus then of the civil defence, which was very much a new thing at the time. But they got a uniform, a coat, and a berry. <laughs> so I got the shirt and tie on, and I came down the stairs. And as soon as the woman says, oh, "That's one thing you can't wear," my husband says, "Would kill me if you're caught in that." And I said, "I won't be caught." I said, and. If I do, I said, if you hear I'm caught, I'd admit to nothing, but I'd say that I, I robbed a house near the prison and stole some clothes. I'd, I'd admit to that. So that'll cover you. So on that basis, she let me have it, and she gave me 10 shillings, and I went dressed up, and of course now I'm a limp and everything, they're looking for a guy with a limp. And I headed off, the little girl walked in front of me, straight out of a, one of those marquee films, you see the French marquee, and, go, and I said to her, don't look back. Just stop at the window, shop window, close closest to the to the bus stop that I'm to get because I didn't know what bus stop. So I went out and we race on the road, so I was able to pick my steps, which kind of disguised my limp, and I got to this thing. And she just, she was magnificent. She just didn't look back. She went off. She had a little circle back home, and then I'm waiting for the bus, and I'm standing there, no traffic, no nobody. On the Antrim Road, waiting for this bus that's going to come, she tells me at 6.30. And the next thing, a car pulls up right in front of me. Six obvious special branchmen looking at me, staring at me, saying, I'm looking at you now, Jerry, looking at me. And I'm making no eye contact, I'm standing there. I'm standing there. And they keep looking, and again, I thought, and they're never going to leave. And I had gone out to the hospital as part of my reconnoitering just a few weeks previously to the Royal Victoria for an x-ray uh, for my bronchitis and I was brought there by the police and I reckon some of them were in that car to see because they would have seen me yeah. most recently yeah. they drove off and then this woman came having done some shopping and stealing and she had a couple of parcels lovely young lady I said, is this the one? I said, it is. So I helped around with her, talking to her, and I thought I could sit beside her, but she snubbed me, she sat beside somebody else. So <laughs> the bus was pretty full, and I sat down, and the bus moved out. And then it came to a shuddering halt in Glengormley, and the police got on. But I know I have my uniform on the Majesty's service, glasses, and I'm sitting there, and I have a newspaper, and I'm thinking, well, Hopefully, and there's a guy in front of me in the Belfast Telegraph that night because there was no daily paper, so my, my escape wasn't known generally except on the radio and television. But yeah. no, so this is the first paper. 
And this guy, and there's a photograph of me across two columns. <laughs> and he's raising it up. And he's raising it up because it's all full of sub-stories, you know, when they get a big story and everything. And he goes, it's never going to stop. <laughs> so I, I had him up my head and pretend to be reading my own paper. He kept raising it up. <laughs> he read everything. And, and the paper... <laughs> now, I had my glasses and my berry on, so I was okay. But they, they came on and they looked at everything and they, they didn't speak to me at all. And then I went up away from the border. So I said to myself, this is good. It wasn't planned, but they'd be searching for me going to South Armagh or someplace. And now I'm going up round to the top of Loch because I'm going to go down into Cookstown and Dungannon. Going, going to go east. So I went up and I come to Toon Bridge. Roddy McCauley goes to die on the bridge of Toon today. So I sang that in my head. <laughs> and I passed Toon Bridge and up around the corner and we come to a place called Money Moor in Derry. And Money Moor, we have to change buses. Now, again, I go back to 1960. Buses weren't that great, but the one I got onto was a real bone shaker. But worse than that, there was only a few, pe only a few people on it. And I get on the bus and I'm heading off now to Oakstown. I'm just leaving money more when the bus comes to an abrupt halt. And I clean, the, I set up near the front and I cleaned the, the, the condensation of the wind to look out. And there was beam men, I know you see men armed, I don't know. It looked like a battalion of them all around the bus. And policeman gets on, there are about six people on the bus. Hello Trevor, hello William. Oh, oh Victor. Hello, <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Oh, Malcolm. <laughs> Hello, sir. What is your name? Where are you coming from? And where are you going? I said, my name is Joe Walsh. I'm coming from Belfast. I'm going to Dungannon. And what is your business? My business is I'm going to do end of year stock taking in Dungannon Civil Defence Store. Have you any papers to substantiate that, sir? No, I haven't. I have no papers. You must have some papers. No, I have no papers. I said, I, I didn't know I was going to be stopped. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm here and I'm on an emergency. The guy who should be doing it is not available. I have to go to do to check the stock. Not very satisfactory, sir. And when I cleaned the condensation, he went off the bus. And when I cleaned the condensation, two detectives came. I've made the space in the wind to clear the window. And they're looking and doing the same thing as the guys were doing in Belfast a bit earlier. Staring. And of course, they can, they can do it. You know, you can have a disguise. Yeah. You can have a beard. You can have everything. They're, they're looking for your shape of your nose. Or yeah, your eyes. Your eyes are it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I, I didn't give them much of it. I kept, didn't do any. So the next thing, a man came on. He came on. He came back. He questioned me three times to the extent that I thought they were going to arrest me. And so I'd asked the woman the name of the head of the, of the civil defence in Belfast. And I said, look, you can contact Charlie Landhurst, whatever his name was. I mean, I, but I had the right name. Yeah. But sure, he didn't know him from Madam because he would even, what, what section of the forces are you in anyway, sir? And there was as much loyalty as I could most. I said, I'm a member of Her Majesty's Civil Defence Force. <laughs> so anyway, he got off the boat and they let me go on. Wow, so, nerves yeah. steel, huh? Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know, but I thought they were following me. Right. Yeah, That's it's never a happy life when you're on the run. <laughs> no, no, and carrying all that physical pain. I would say the adrenaline was oh, helping yeah. with that, but oh, gosh, yeah. because I been... couldn't run, I couldn't yeah. run. As if, uh, yeah. just, if they arrest me, I just have to go because I, I wouldn't be able to run. I hope I can bluff it, you know. But um, I got them to Dungannon and when I got out of the bus, it was frost and snow, because, and the bus was late. I ran to Cookstown and I, I went into the, the Ulster Transport Authority place where the bus comes in, not not on the street. And there were three guys there running a big open brazier, and I sat with them chatting. And they wanted to know all about the civil defence. And oh, I, I'd, re I'd read in the Reader's Digest, I used to get a lot of reading, you see, like yourselves. And I, read the, and I read all about the Swedish civil defence, so I gave a master class <laughs> on the, the Swedish defence. Bored them stiff. Yeah. <laughs> so I got on the bus and I got to Dungannon and I went then and I made contact with this house. And they brought me to another house where they, there was a nurse and she bandaged my hand and my leg and gave me 
uppers and downers or whatever they gave you for these things. And I got a nice big feather bed to sleep in that night. And the next morning, I was I was kind of hallucinating during the night because I was look pushing that fan light, that trap door yeah. to look out at me so often. And uh, the next thing is I look up and here's this priest and he's dressed back in those years with all those I call the canonicals. Nice. Collar and beautifully turn up, they say. Good man, he said. Red Hugh O'Donnell. He was an historian. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> And I said, yes, father. I said, that's what I was trying to imitate him. <laughs> Too dangerous for you to stay here, he said. You come to the Procure house tonight. Stay in my house. Wow. So, later on that day, as he took the, the civil defence uniform and the 10 shillings she gave me, and they headed back to her before I even crossed the border. Okay. So, probably could. <laughs> so, then we headed off then. The next night, then I stayed a night in the Procure house. And then the next night, he, he brought me in the, 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 the boot of his car. And we weren't stopped anywhere, which would have been. And then the next day, two guys came to bring me to a house of my choice. I wanted to make contact with a guy called Paddy Joe McLean, who was one of the hooded men. Okay. I don't know if that name rings a bell with you or not. He was interned in the 50s, and he was interned in the 70s. Oh, and he was never in the IRA. Okay. But he wouldn't give them the satisfaction of saying, I'm not a member. Right. <laughs> I didn't never did it and Paddy Joe McLean then organised my he organised my walk over the border you knew then at that point as well your life as you knew it pre-prison is gone as well like oh, you're yes. in a different kind of yes. Oh, prison yes, now yes. That's, yeah that's, that's the, the that comes on you slowly because uh, I mean it's never uh, it wasn't in in the in my reckoning that I'd never be back in my own house again. Yeah. That I'd never see all the people that, a lot of people died before I ever got, I was 30 years yeah. barred from going north. Yeah. So a lot of people who couldn't travel, I didn't meet, never met again, which is a, a sad aspect. Of it. But then on the other side, I wasn't sucked in to the 30 years war, which I undoubtedly would have been. Yeah. Either official or provisional, you wouldn't yeah. know where you'd end up. Yeah. Because they were, they even made contact with me here at the start, and I was on holidays in Tremor. And if I had been here, I could well have been so. Because see, what has happened in the north, you wouldn't remember it. You know, but in the, they were born in out, say Bombay Street. I mean, yeah. they, they were, they were annihilating the Catholic population yeah. in Belfast. And you see, like everything else, you know, scratch a, an Irishman, you get a Republican. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, everybody's in the same, the same, same boot. So, uh, so that was the the. One side and one side, so there's good things and always good things, and there's always advantages and disadvantages. But you're right, yeah. that was finished for me. Oh, so yeah. I lived in Cork, and they looked, I lived in Tipperary for a couple of months, for a couple of weeks. I was on the run, I was put there by the IRA. And then, despite the fact that I wasn't in the unit, because <laughs> uh, I reported back to them, the reason I reported back to them, Rory O'Brody was the chief oh, of staff, yeah. Yeah. and Mick Ryan was the Director of Operations. He later became one of the officials. But the split, split team. Yeah. yeah. Mixed in alive, actually. Up lives up around Dundalk. And um, part of Rory Brady's dead, of course. But Rory interviewed me. And I was brought from my house, in, my aunt's house in Bundoran, because that's where I ended up, to, to, to report back by um, Owen Goff, who was the son of Judge Goff. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I stayed in his house that night in Dublin, and so it amazing all the little interviews ago, go on, and his his uh, fiance who's who'd rejoiced in the name of Eucaria Murray, Eucaria, she was born. Anybody called Eucaria was born in nineteen thirty-two, the year of the Eucharistic <laughs> okay. Congress. So like John Paul in seventy-nine, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Marian year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you carry? Did you read the name you carry? Never. No. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was very good. You you meet some people now, and I told you called you. Oh yes, my sister was called you carry. Yeah. So he brought me and met and met, and then uh, they, they changed the IRA changed at that stage, uh, and then the IRA campaign was still go ongoing. Until for another year afterwards. Okay. Uh, although I wasn't involved in that. But the Cahill Golding then became chief of staff. And he brought me down to a to a small farm in Tipperary. And I stayed there in a place called Ballymackie near Tumivara. But I mean, I suppose by right, I should have been 
intensive care hospital yeah. there because eventually when I, when I left there, I went to Cork and uh, people kept me in Cork. He was a school teacher in the North Monastery, North Mon, Donacombe Morakul, and his wife, Christine. And they, I mean, they kept me free of charge. I mean, some in people in Tipperary kept me. They could, they could afford to have another mouth to feed, you know? Yeah. But they were farming people, and I suppose they'll always get a, as my mother used to say, because she was from the from a farm, you get a roughness of stuff that it does you, you yeah, know? Okay. But, you, would, but you, were, you were kind of imposed upon people. I felt in myself, anyway, that I was, um, you know, because I'd reported back to them, and then they wanted to take, they wanted to do something for me, planted me there. So anyway, I, then I came back and got, got, got myself organised. And were the, were the Irish guards after you, the cops? No, you see, there was no extradition treaty. Yeah. Not for many years afterwards. And, but they, they were doing spoiling tactics. Okay. They would come, they were, they were, they were obviously trying to trace me, but it wasn't that easy for them. But they, they stayed in Monaghan. If I stayed in Monaghan, superintendent told the people he thought might have a hand in looking after me yeah. that if there was a snatch squad sent across the border, they wouldn't stop them. Right. Okay. And then in, when I got, a, got a digs in Cork, when I got a job in Cork and I got digs, I went to live away from Blarney Street. I went to live in Evergreen Road. And the guards arrived to the landlady to tell them who they had. As a, okay. And then they went down to the job. I mean, I was working on a job for five pounds a week. Like it wasn't... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't in 10,000 a year, you know. Yeah. And they told them as well. And they said, well, you already told us that. They kind of took the wind out of the scenes. Because I knew I can't go nowhere without telling people. Of course, someone's going to do something for me. Say, you know, you better know who you're dealing with because if I don't yeah. tell you, somebody else will tell you. If somebody else tells you, you won't feel very happy about it. So once they knew, oh, no, no. no right. yeah. So I never, I mean, they didn't sack me. No, they didn't, because yeah. I told them. Yeah. They took me on as that. And my landlady, but the landlady was very annoyed that they came, you know, but was, that's the kind of thing they did. How long did it take before you felt like you don't have to look over your shoulder or I'm free or? Well, I suppose the day, the night I was across the border, which was very short, but, but they still could have come across the border. But the house I went into there was Father Francis Trainer and his wife Dempna. And I went to their house and they were having a New Year's Eve dinner. They had a goose, they cooked a goose. So I thought this is very apt for the poor old governor whose goose was cooked up in Belfast. <laughs> but anyway, I kind of felt from that moment I felt free, really free. And I never felt there was anybody going to... That, well, I knew there was no extradition. I knew that. Yeah. And I knew there was a big volume of support on my behalf because I had people... I got messages. My mother and father got messages from people. And my aunt got messages from people whom you wouldn't even associate with the IRA or right. Republican movement. People were kind of, see, there's nobody hurt or nobody killed. Yeah. It was, again, I was back beyond the, before the, the 30 years war. So the people were, the only people who got injured was myself and John, you know. Yeah. So the people were very supportive of us, you know. I mean, quite amazing. Yeah. The people, people could come along and give me a fiver, you know, was, yeah. which was my week's wages at the time. You know, yeah, as yeah. A, as a, as a, just to be, to be supportive of people who had it, you know. Yeah. And, um, I people here that my first Christmas I spent was in Aylesbury Road. I mean, nice, okay, yeah, <laughs> can't be worse things, all right, yeah. You know, I, and I stayed in a house for history buffs, like you're saying, right? That Ernie O'Malley was captured in. Oh, wow, um, and it was okay. in the secret, yeah. it was in the secret room in the Rahleys house, wow. Oh, God, yeah. which Humphreys is now house. demolished, yeah, that's well, demolished, yeah, that's right, yeah, it became well. the And I stayed in that house, and and um, there was a secret room in it, but I didn't see the secret room was gone to the end, right? right. right. And they, 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 those people were Humphreys, and they were first cousins of the Rathalys. And they they were my hosts for my first Christmas, away wow. from home and away from from Rogia. Yeah. And, and like, I know, okay, times were different and whatnot, but like, it, it, in all intents and purposes, you're still kind of a kid. Like, yes, you know, yes, I mean, a 21 year old today is you know. I mean, I look at my grandchildren and say, my God. Yeah. You know, you know what you've yeah, done, yeah, the life yeah, you've lived yeah. up to that point, my God. Unbelievable. You just jammed yeah. it all in. And, and then we were in the, in the prison, which because we were treated as criminals, although there were plenty of us, you didn't have to be. But I mean, I used to make it my business talking to someone because they intrigued me, you know. There was some of the murderers that had been whom I, who had been reprieved. But it was mostly for killing their mother in law or killing their wife. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was, it was. Yeah. But another thing that I did when I was in the jail, it was something I was very proud of. I had 
discovered that London University had exams called the General Certificate of Education, the GCEs. And I wrote to them and asked them would they designate Crumlin Road Jail as an examination centre. Okay. And the censor came and he said, you can't do that. I said, you let them, let the letter go. You let the, yeah, we got the home office. I said, we'll see if they, I said, they mightn't do it. The letter came back saying, we're prepared to do it if we get permission from the thing, from the office. So I wrote a letter and they asked them for permission for the thing, and they did it. And I did six GCE subjects when I was there. I did French, English, Latin, economics, Irish, history at advanced level, and English literature at advanced level. I passed them too into the bag, it was good. But I mean, I had plenty of time to study. And for the oral, there's an oral in French and an oral in, in the high security wing. They held them in the chapel, but the chapel is also the common hall. And I had two warders with me. And, and of course, most of these lads would be in the British Army, they probably left school at 14. And here's this fellow coming from the French embassy, he was a French consul, consulate. And he did the French oral for London University with me. And the guy from, uh, and unfortunately, I've forgotten their names. Yeah. I just I'm kicking myself over that. And the other man, we came from Queen's University, from the Irish section to do the Irish role. So, and then a lot of the guys started, Phyllis, who'd never been to secondary school, they started to study. And when I left, there were 20 of them wow. doing exams for GCE, which was which did them, stayed, stood them in great stead when they, when they got released. Yeah. You know? yes. But uh, years later, I was invited by the American Sons the sons of the American Revolution, to give them a talk at the dinner yeah. that they were holding in the dungeon of Roman Road Jail. Now, nice. the, dungeon, the dungeon is now turned into a wedding strip. So it's a very low ceiling, but they've candelabra on all the tables and white damask yeah. tablecloths and silver service. And uh, so this one, the woman who's organised and rang me, she got my name from the people running the jail at the time, and she said, uh, would you be prepared to speak to a dinner when yourself and your wife are invited to the dinner? And I said, I've got on one condition. She said, what's that? That the food has improved. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the food was terrible. Yeah. And I went up there and we, and um, the Sons of the American Revolution. And I'm looking around, I was invited, introduced to quite a few of them. They'd gone, they'd, they'd gone on a tour of Ireland, the Royal Irish Academy. They went to North and Douth. Like they were, it wasn't your Blarney Castle type of thing, yeah. you know. And of course, most of them would have been Bush Republicans, you know, at the time. And uh, they were all professional people, attorneys, or the way they use the word, and yeah. even even a, a, an Eastern Orthodox Church bishop who had been an Episcopalian. And uh, so when I, when I got up to give my little talk, I knew that they knew a lot about the prison. And I told them about um, the other thing I had, which was the getting the place designated as a, as a... And I'm thinking to myself, they're probably saying, why, are we, why do we sit and listen to this? Terrorist, <laughs> which is probably so. So I said, by the way, I said, your your ancestors, you're the sons of the American Revolution, and to be a, to join that organization, you have to have your genealogy confirmed by an independent genealogist that you're related. You just can't claim that my great 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 grand uncle Harry. Yeah, was it? You have to have it specified. So that's really a, a, a jealous thing that they had. And I said, I said, your, I said, your ancestors are responsible. I said for me being in this prison, in this dungeon. I got their attention because as you have after their days too, and they're probably they yeah. want to get back to their bed. And I said, because here's the here's the reason why. I said, you had your revolution in 1775. I said, then the French helped you. And there was a French count there, at least the old stuff. I didn't know that at the time. It came up to me afterward. I had known that. And I said, they helped you. I said, and then I said, but 20 years later, they had their French Revolution based on the rights of man and all from, from, um, from the American Revolution. I said, and the father of Irish Republicanism, Wolf Tone, he was in France at that time. And he brought back your, your, your ancestors' ideas to Ireland to, to have a revolution in 1798 the revolution that we've been trying to finish. Yeah. I said, right. <laughs> I said and whenever I said I was in, uh, here, I said, I did, uh, I got to London University to designate, um, the, to designate Crown Road Jail as an examination centre. 
I said, and they had a they had a they had a system then for the GCE, which was kind of uh, predated the idea of the project. They had a thing, a special subject, and what was my special subject? American history. <laughs> who, was, who was my hero? Which I had to make it up at this stage. Could I? Paul Revere. I said, listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. In March of night, April of night of 75, scarcely a man is now alive who can remember that famous day and year. I said to a friend, if the British come by town, from the town tonight, by land over sea, light a lantern above the North Church Tower as a signal light, one if by land, two if by sea, and I on the other side shall be to ride and to raise the alarm in every Middlesex village and farm. To tell the people to get up and to arm. They were all singing with me. <laughs> <laughs> and they presented me with an a, a, a honorary membership of the Sons of the American uh, Revolution. <laughs> was that a complete spoof? It Did was. Fantastic. just a character, but yeah. I knew yeah. the poem and I knew that they would like the, that yeah. they would. I knew that they would know it, you know. Yeah. So I get to get them on to get them on my side. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, I was introduced to Paul Revere after my grandparents had uh, gone on a tour of uh, the States. They're getting international accreditation for the school I went to yeah. and that he was headmaster of, but that was it. Yeah, so that eight-year-old boy, I remember, just, we were saying all that now, just goes flooding <laughs> back and the eight-year-old is sitting there with my, with my granddad <laughs> reading the story, you know? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. But it's been really fantastic. I mean, like, God almighty, what, sto- what a storyteller you are. Were you the yeah. only, only escapee ever? I, well, yeah. that that's said when you go on the tour. Sometimes yeah. the prison they say that, but but it's not it's not correct. Okay. There, there were there were the I was between nineteen forty three and nineteen seventy. I was the only successful escapee. Okay. okay. And then, but to not get caught though afterwards. That's the thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's yes, the, you see, and that was the big thing. Yeah. And then, so they would say he was the only prisoner ever recaptured. That's not entirely true either, but it's it's it fits the 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 narrative for sure. A good know, story, but, yeah. but it's a bit exceptional because I was never caught. Never, yeah, yeah. I, I got You're in the select few, anyway. Yes, yes, I'm select few. Easy to say that. But yeah. I mean, I, I was even there. They recently, my grandchildren wanted to see it, and I went up with them, and the the fellow said, "I've been looking for you." He said, "I heard you were here," and he was the head. He used to be the head. I think he made retired since. This was only about three months ago. Right. And he rejoiced in the name of. Harry Winchester. So okay. Harry said, I've got some Americans and some other people, a group of about 30, would you say a few words to them? And I said, I will. So off I went and I told him, they've been so I added a little bit for Harry and Harry to ask me a question or something, I tell them. And afterwards, and I think this was quite amazing, after this man, very nice, pleasant man, about maybe 20 or 30 years younger than myself, in his 50s, and his wife and his two children, and he came up and he said to me, um, can I get a photograph taken with you? And I said, certainly. And he said, my father was in the OUC back in the 50s. And I'm thinking, was a photograph taken with me? And I said, well, that's very interesting. I said, that your father, well, in a skillin, he said. And um, I had a small talk with him a little bit about it. And then I said to him, uh, you're very interested in this. He said, I am, he said. When I was growing up, he said, a terrible thing happened when I was 11. I said, what was that? He said, the SDLP left a clear road for Sinn Féin to put up Bobby Sands. He said, and we always thought the SDLP were, well, they were kind of decent Catholics, but the Sinn Féiners would cut your throat in your bed at night. He said, and the SDLP stood aside to let Bobby Sands win the election. He said, it had an awful effect on my life. Yes. And I, I didn't, I was kind of in a group and, a, and, a yeah. group, and he, he was, we were talking privately, but I mean, there were people who were kind of middle around us and I'd, I had my grandchildren to look after and I was thinking to myself, now if I start a big discussion here, I would like to say to him, do you still have the same belief? But then I thought to myself, he wants a photograph with me, he must have come on yeah. a good bit on it, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, well, I said, well, I said, I said, that, I said that's, that is amazing. I said, I'm amazed at you saying that. I said, and I said, I said something I always say that a person's perception, that's their reality. Yeah. I said, and that was your reality. And I said, you know, and 
that's that's what happens in life when people when the communication so, but if it's good and then you want to be certain that his wife and the children to stand for the photograph so okay. I, don't know, I don't know where the photograph would appear <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I thought it was interesting yeah you know it shows you the change that, yeah it does yeah, I, I, yeah. My, my daughter did a film uh, called The Invisible Man and to do the film we needed a prison warder Right. Somebody from the other side, and the prison warder came, and he's still pursuing cover. I okay. talked to one, but he's in the British Army, fought in Korea, was wounded in Korea, fought in Malaysia, killing the poor Malaysians, and then he became a prison warder after I left. But he was a an associate trade union man, so he was quite you know he good yeah. courage, so he didn't yeah. mind being in the film with me. You, otherwise, you would people would be afraid they might have some in effect on them, you know. Sure. And he wasn't there when I escaped, so they couldn't say that he helped me. But even he rang me one day to know, uh, did we have a disability pension down here? And I said, yeah, we have. I said, the sickness and disability. I said, but I said, um, Sammy, this is his name. Sammy, you have to watch every every budget because the social welfare changes. But I said, why are you asking me? Oh, well, the couple of us were asked, talking about there the other night. He said, and we're wondering where the disability said, that's the United Ireland business. Yes, nice. And he said, and I said, well, I said, I'll find it a bit more for you want to. He said, he said, would you believe it? He said, I asked a Sinn Féin fellow, I didn't tell who I was. He said, he didn't know. Well, I said, Sammy, if the Sinn Féin rep didn't know, don't you worry, you let it out and isn't, isn't around the corner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or else he'd be able to answer that question, you know. Yeah. yeah. They were talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Get, and so on about back to the half crown, you know, the old saying, whenever the, the old money was the half crown, they used to say, they were more loyal to the half crown than they were to the crown, you know. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Still, it's, it's about us all, you know. Yeah, yeah. economy is everything. Interesting. Interesting. It's still. It, um, would you have a personal viewpoint on, on what you expect the future would bring for Northern well, Ireland? I do. I do have personal. I mean, but I mean, it's more. It's a bit. It's a bit. It's based kind of on my own experiences on what I read, and I do keep in touch as far as I can. But I'm sometimes blown out of the water by sometimes how I can misread things too, you know, you sure. see things. But I, I would think, this is, this is what I think. Yeah. I think a United Ireland is inevitable. I used to bring, whenever I was purchase manager, I used to host some German visitors come across from their sister company because Unilever owned it. I used to always bring them to Glen Creek Cemetery to right. see the German cemetery. Yeah. There are tears in their eyes. Wow. And I tell them, Germany's going to be united and maybe I might have had a total a dozen over the years. Every one of them said the same thing. Yeah, Ireland yeah. will be united before Germany. Right. Interesting. You know? um, and we know that that's not yeah. to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think, you know, I say Vietnam is united. Yeah. The countries are going to do better when they're united. When they're united. I think united, but it'll be a different, it won't be the Ireland that we had. Of, sure. Of the shamrocks and the, the yeah. tricolor. It'll be, it'll be, you'll have to start off because what Brexit has taught us, you can't, well, you can, but you're going to make a mess of it. You need, those guys that were talking in their, in their readout in Ballyduff, like in the union, about have we got a disability pension, they, they need to be satisfied that their economy, that their economics are going to match what they have, if, yeah. if not, yeah. not improve, if, if, maybe improve them. Um, and we had that example, I think, in the Scottish referendum. Yeah. yeah. The Scottish referendum, Everybody said, well, they passed. But it wasn't. And I remember distinctly, the week before it, the suggestion was made, it was more than it was really, it was, uh, what they call it, fake news, that the, the pound would be, if the Scottish referendum went ahead, that the Scottish pound would be 12% less value than sterling. Now, you can imagine, for somebody like me, yeah. in the 80s, I've got my little nest egg of 5,000, 10,000 pounds, euro. I'm going to have, I'm going to vote for Scottish independence. But my 10,000 on Monday will be worth 7,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I need that to the children. <laughs> and the difference, what, what was it, 53 or 54 percent? I mean, it wasn't just yeah, a, okay. it wasn't just a, I mean, they, that swayed people. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and which brings me back to the point. Economics, it's like Bill Clinton's film. It's you know, it was it's, it's the economy. Yeah, it's stupid. Stupid. Yeah, stupid. Yeah, the economy yeah, stupid. Yeah, and and that and the same. So I think that'll happen. But I mean, 
been some terrible things have been done in the Thirty Years' War. Mm. Just going to Horrific. Yeah. I mean, I mean, where where would you start? Yet, the guy that I look at to me is one of the most amazing people. He hasn't changed his opinions about things, but he sees a way through it. That chap, Alan McBride, who lost his wife in the Shankill Road bombing, and he went and he spoke at the West Belfast failure, okay. and he's done some of those other things. Now he's still burning up inside sure. that the, his wife and all that and what have you, Jerry Adams and all these kind of things. But he 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 voted for the peace, you know. Yeah. Okay. Knowing damn well that uh, the guy was it John Kelly, was his name yeah. as well too, <laughs> not, not my John Kelly, but the guy who planted the bomb was going to be released. released. Yeah, you know, yeah. he did that. Yeah, yeah. You know. which would have been really hard. So, so if I like yeah. him, it shows that it can be done. So, yeah. And then, of course, on the other side, you've got the people in Tyrone whose people were murdered. Yeah. I mean, the, the two women... Sitting there with a cup of tea and they had cameras and all. What's what they're doing? And they, they shot them knowing down well there's nobody in the house except them. I mean, yeah, yeah, all, yeah. The, all that kind of stuff is just awful. Yeah. Yeah. But, but end it must. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and, and so my, my view is that I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen to the European Union, though. I'm not as sure about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, that's, I think, I yeah, think they've gone too, personally, I think they've gone too far with the European Union. Yeah. I think they I mean they're making it the United States of Europe. That's all it is. Which yeah, wasn't what yeah. we joined up for, certainly no. not what no, I thought. No, no, I was no. very much in favour because I was elected the the, the European uh, Works Council for the Unilever companies in Ireland. Okay. Uh, so I was over there back and forward to the and you sort of think, this is great. But the the whole thing has become they've become very militaristic as well. Yeah. Which I think is Yeah. Anyway. yeah. But uh, so that my my opinion is, I think I think a lot of good things happened up there, uh, and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a different world, of course. It's different, yeah. Yeah. And, the, and even the Sinn Féin that I was secretary of bears no resemblance. No, absolutely not. Again, having said that, there are very good things that they're doing. It's, but the one thing about Sinn Féin today is it's bullfrog growth. I remember my old friend Padre, I was over in Bulgaria one time and I was with these communists at a conference. Well, they called themselves socialists, but they would call them communists. And this fellow said to me, Ah, in Ireland, medieval superstition rules the world, you know. Now, he annoyed me, anyway. Yeah. I came back and I speak to my old friend, Padre O'Donnell. I don't know if you ever heard of Padre. Padre yeah. a great writer, a great captain from Donegal. He lived up in Drumcondra. But Padre had a great one-liners, but he also had a great experience of life. He was a writer all his life, so he didn't, he wasn't distracted by other things like having to do, report into a factory. Yeah. And Padre said, Ah, yes, but you didn't know it. He said you could have told them that um, in Poland, and the same would apply to Bulgaria, that the, the Communist Party had about a thousand people. And the day that the Red Army occupied Poland, the membership rose to a million. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. This happened to Sinn Fein. Now, people are joining Sinn Fein. Yeah, I mean, and and for a good reason because it's it's the it's the party that's, it's that's the, a good chance of winning. The, the party is you your, if yeah. You want, and if you want to get influence. Yeah, you I mean, I've you never do. heard that saying though. Uh, that you just said, bullfrog. Bullfrog goes you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it explodes. Exponential growth. Yeah. 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 I, know, I mean, the bullfrog is like, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's all hot air, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It may serve some purpose, but it's, it does. I'm sure it makes you. Uh, the, the only thing I'd say, I, I found, uh, like, I, I approached Jeffrey John Donaldson to mm. interview for the historians, and he said, came back really quick. Yes, I was glad mm. to do it. This is a year ago. Yeah. And uh, he's radio science since and I've tried him a few other times and and, mm. and to know I've been seeking to give you mentioned it balance. So in all the episodes that I want yeah, about Northern Ireland, that. you have to do that. I've been desperately seeking balance yeah, and I have impossible. I, for me now, just it's been impossible. I haven't managed to interview anyone from the unionist side. Alan McBride, he certainly came across. I mean he's he's very vehement and he's Sure. His, his, his antagonism towards the people as you could well have yes. seen he killed his wife yeah. but at the same time he, he sees there needs to be a, a flyover yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know yeah but, but he's very he was worth I, I was impressed by some of one of those other programmes just the other night okay. and I just watched them and I thought to myself my god uh, that fella has 
quite amazing how he could and, and made himself available. I mean, he got a right. fierce criticism for going to West, but he, he went to the West Belfast Field and he gave out hell to them. You see what I mean? Which was yeah. which is the right thing to do. Yeah, you know, rather than saying, "I wouldn't go near that crowd." No, he went and told them, yeah. told them to their faces what the you know what he thought. Yeah, and, yeah. But he got into really in trouble with his own people, saying you shouldn't have gone to that. Should be no, I see. This is the thing. Yeah, you tell the truth, and then everything starts to. Uh, yeah, move we, from we, that, we were in know. London with Una one time, and I just said, "You know, we're trying to get a tour around Westminster." Right. And uh, I rang Jeffrey Donald's office and got the email and I got back the um, the note from 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 his secretary saying, yeah, come and we'll arrange a day. Now, I made contact then a bit a week later, but I got a different woman in the office right. who okay. froze me short out. Short <laughs> like, yeah, okay. So, yeah. I mean, but, but, uh, and I, was, I, was on a, I was on a radio programme, BBC, a number of years ago. Uh, they were doing the on the runs was the story, and the two people were Jeffrey Donaldson and uh, Jim Jim Allister. Right, and they were interviewing me as to how did I think about on the runs? You see, yeah. how did, and I and how did I how did I become off on the run? You know, yeah. so I was explaining that in the radio. But Jim was on, and then I said, of course, they're talking about Jerry Kelly. You see, they, they had said that that. Uh, Jerry Kelly had got a Queen's pardon. They use that terminology again to, to stick yeah. the two fingers up, you know. Yeah. But it, that's the only way that they can interrupt it all, is to have a have a recommendation from the Queen, which right. is representative of Queen's. But it's not a pardon as such. It's it's the, it's just the, the procedure. Yeah. But he was a great kind of Irish man, Jerry. But he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to walk about. Otherwise, he wouldn't be right. freed. Otherwise, oh yeah, I said Mrs. Thatcher would be very pragmatic. She let me go back to travel in the north, but she. It was not her, but when she was prime minister, yeah. I said, "There's all prime. All these decisions are taken with pragmatism." I yeah. said, and "There's no, there's no great, great, big deal about it." One time, their auntie was your, what you're, what you're asking, and the next time they're before us, and I said, "And they've reasons for both. One reason they're trying to give a message to the southern government: we don't like what you're doing, yeah. and the next thing we want to show we're not as bad as you think we are." And that's, and that's, that's, that's basically, and Jim Allister, because he, he wouldn't refer to me by my name, and, and you know, if I was doing the interviewing, and he said, oh, what do you think of that, uh, Jim, for that? Yeah, well, that man's right, that man's right. <laughs> but the Jeffrey's on it as well, but he was much, he'd be much more amenable, I thought, you know, sure. because he's, he's as black as, as, as the, yeah, as, yeah, as, yeah. as Paisley is. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Does, any, does anybody call you Danny anymore? Yeah, but I used to I used to make a joke. Some people at work knew my background. Johnny, somebody called me Danny, right. and I used to say, "Anybody called me Danny, I'd run." Fantastic! Thank you very much, and historians. This has been the end of uh, a tremendous second episode. And um, hard to believe is probably more exciting than the, the first, but oh, both brilliant. It's been a real treat and a real privilege uh, to to speak with Donal today. So thank you, Donal. Thank very you welcome. so much, Donal. Thank you for everything. Historian listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank, thank you, you, Danny. Oh, Donal. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. And thanks, Yvonne. That's, that's not the first time I've done that. <laughs> I would like to take just a moment to thank all the Hipstorian followers for your support. We plan to continue and expand our efforts into the future. As you can probably appreciate, it does cost to produce the show and we have been funding this ourselves. There is a link within the episode where you can make a one-time, one-euro enjoyment donation. And we'd very much welcome uh, any donations at all, in fact. And anyhow, if uh, you don't have it, don't worry. Keep tuning in. We'll be here.